Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. So good morning, everyone. My name is Leighton Erickson. I serve as lead pastor here, and, and Happy New Year to everyone. I appreciate that you have braved the cold. I know it's nicer, but the cold weather to, to join us in person this long weekend Sunday. And for those that are watching online, I welcome to you. Thanks for tuning in. I have a confession to make. Uh, long weekend Sundays, like today, are always a bit of a dilemma and challenge for pastors like me. You never quite know uh, what to speak on um, on Sundays like this because you never know who's really going to be here or not. And uh, typically, uh, there's, there's usually a lot of our family members that are away, so it's not a great time to start a new sermon series, which is why we're going to kick off our, our new series uh, next Sunday called The Invisible War, as Pastor Kelly mentioned. At the same time, though, uh, I feel that especially on this Sunday, the first Sunday of the new year, uh, it's significant, at, at least it should be. And it's a time uh, where the world naturally looks back and reflects on the year that was, and where we look forward and with anticipation and hope of the year that's to come. So New Year's for, for most of us or for the world is really almost like a restart and we, where we try and, and resolve in, uh, the, and make some positive changes in our life. Now, as I reflected back, not only personally, but as a church family, and as I was praying about this morning, I had a few ideas of what I maybe could or should be speaking about. And, and I wanted to share some of those with you just so you can understand my mindset here. But uh, one of the things I thought I might do is, is give a State of the Union address as we kick off a new year. Here we are almost two years into a pandemic with really no clear end in sight. And uh, the question is, how is it impacting the church in North America? And how is it impacting Ebenezer? Uh, where are we at? What are the challenges that we're facing? What are the opportunities that we see before us? What do, what do we need to do or commit to so that we not only survive this pandemic, but that we grow and, and flourish through it? So that's one of the things I was thinking of. I was also thinking that maybe this is a Sunday that we just have a, a vision Sunday to uh, remind us and to inspire us of all that God has called us to be and do. Because, to be honest, uh, over the last 20 months, I think we have, and most churches may have, might have, lost some of their vision or momentum. And more accurately, maybe we haven't caught God's vision uh, for us in the midst of all the changes that we see around us. And as Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or as the, the message puts it, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are, are most blessed. And, and this is certainly a time for us to, to receive a, a clear revelation, a, a clear vision from God that we can obey together as a church family. I also had a strong sense that we should uh, make this Sunday a, a time where we call people to prayer. One verse that I've been meditating on over this past year is 2 Chronicles 7.14, and many of you will know that verse. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And part of me, uh, actually most of me, wants uh, just to fall down prostrate before the Lord and have us do the same this morning in this posture of humble submission and honest confession and genuine repentance and actively seek the face of the Lord as we cry out to him. Because uh, we certainly need the Lord's healing in this land. And we need the Lord's healing in the church, not just this church, but in the church in general. However, uh, as I prayed about this Sunday, uh, God led me in a very different direction to begin the new year. And so today, uh, our entire service is going to be centered around one of the first and most en enduring practices of the church, which is the Lord's Supper. And what I love about the Lord's Supper is that believers from every generation, from every culture and every nation, and every church denomination have participated in this holy meal consistently since the day Jesus inaugurated in the upper room, the evening before he was crucified on the cross. And I believe that it's, it's this ancient practice, in this ancient practice, that God has a message for us today, and one that we need to hear and experience as we begin a new year. So if you have your Bibles with, with you today, could you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 23 and read through to 32. Um, and I want to read the entire passage of Scripture this morning with you, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 32. If you don't have it, uh, your Bible, or you can't bring it up on your screen, you will see it on our screen, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. So let me just quickly pray before we read God's Word. So God, uh, thank you that you love us, and thank you that you've promised that you would open our eyes to the truth of your Word. And Holy Spirit, uh, we know that this is a living word and that you, that you can be active amongst us right now and you can speak to our hearts, each one of us, together as a group but also individually of the things you need us and want us to hear. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our spiritual eyes and open our, our minds that we might receive what you have for us today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves... We would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And I just want to stop there. Now, as you probably noticed, uh, there are a couple of phrases in, the, in this passage which are repeated. 
The first is the phrase, in remembrance of me. And this is probably the, the first thing that most of us think of when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and so we should. As believers, nothing marks our lives more than the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for many of us, when we come to the table, it, it's a table, it's a memorial table for us. And when Jesus uh, told his disciples in that room, do this in remembrance of me, he wanted them to remember him and his work every time they ate this meal together. He wanted them to remember the sacrifice he made for them on the cross so that their sins would be forgiven. And he wanted them to remember his presence and the friendship he had with them that they would soon be enjoying again with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the original language of the Bible, the word Jesus used for remembrance is more than just recalling an event. It implies living life and behaving in light of or in view of that event and all it means. But this table is more than just a memorial table. It's also a communion table. It's a table where we come and we fellowship with Christ and with one another. You see, God did not design us, humankind, to be alone. We are, we are not wired to be in isolation uh, and live as spiritual hermits, which is one of the reasons this pandemic has been so hard on us as the people of God. To be human, and by that I mean to live in the joy of all that we are made to enjoy, requires us to be in fellowship with God and with others. And both these, these aspects of communion are, are only made possible and sustained by Jesus Christ because our human nature, our human sinfulness, damages the relationships that we have in life with each other and with the Lord. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are not merely eating a holy meal. We are eating a holy meal together. And by doing so, we're reminding ourselves that, it is in, that it's in Christ and through Christ that we have fellowship with one another. And when we, we partake of it, uh, it should motivate us to get our life right with God and also with others where necessary. And, and this brings me to the, the, uh, the third facet of the Lord's Supper that I want to mention this morning, that it's a table of, of mercy. It's a table of, of forgiveness and grace. It's a table that reminds us of the grace that we've already received in salvation. And it's a table where we continue to receive God's grace and mercy again and again and again because we're all broken people who need to be renewed. And this brings me to the second repeated phrase that we find in the passage. And that's the phrase to examine yourself, as it says in verse 28, or examine or judge yourself depending on your version of the Bible in verse 31. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church, this warning to examine myself was, was really emphasized. We were told to carefully examine ourselves so that we would, we would not take, partake in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and bring judgment upon ourselves. Now, how many people grew up in that kind of environment? So, so a few of us, okay. So uh, now, keep in mind, I was a young teenager at the time, and to be honest, that was a scary thought that brought fear to me. I remember taking that warning very seriously, and I remember asking God to search me and reveal any sin that I had in my life. And for me, at, at that time, it seemed that this table was more a table of 
of God's judgment and wrath than a table of God's mercy and grace. It became a table where, where I tended to focus on my unworthiness because I was so scared that I was unworthy. And by the way, we're all unworthy, right? There's no one that's worthy to come and, and, and fellowship with God other than through Jesus Christ. But I would focus on my unworthiness rather than focus on Jesus and his worthiness. And it became a table where it felt like I had to get right with God rather than a place where I was set free to live in God's love and, and experience his faithfulness and his grace in my life. Several years ago, someone from our, our worship teams, and it was a number of years ago, they don't attend here anymore in case you're going to try and figure out who this is. Um, after a communion service, uh, this person came up and told me how much they hated communion. And I quote, this is what they said, because all it does is discourage me and make me feel more guilty about me and my shortcomings. I don't think this is what Jesus wants us to feel when we take communion. And she's not the only one that's, that's ever felt this way. I'm going to give you a little bit of church history here. Do you know that there was, uh, in the 16th century, there was uh, the Council of Trent by the Catholic Church. And they established that all Roman Catholics had to take communion at least once per year. Because what was happening is, is many in the Catholic Church were foregoing communion for fear of bringing God's judgment upon themselves. So examining yourself... Um, is not always a positive experience for people. And yet, this is the phrase that God has impressed upon me and something that we need to take time to do this morning. And so we will. Again, it says in the, the Scriptures, this is why you should examine yourself be before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And in verse 31, but if you would examine yourself or if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. So, as you can see, uh, Scripture teaches that we're supposed to examine ourselves before the Lord. Jesus calls his followers to regularly examine themselves so that his spirit can point out areas of sin or areas of rebellion or areas of disobedience that, that we need to deal with. Truth is that self-examination is a crucial part of our, of our spiritual growth. Now, this morning, I brought on stage with me two medical self-tests that you might, might recognize. Uh, the, first, the first is the, the trusty COVID test. You can pick them up for free at the library if you haven't had one yet. And uh, it's to confirm or inform us if, if we have the COVID virus living inside of us. Uh, we administer it usually when we show some signs of infection and the test either disproves or proves that we have the virus. Now, uh, this is not the same type of exam as what we want to talk about this morning. This is be like, like the exam to see if you have the sin DNA inside of you. And you probably, you know, you don't have to take that test because you're going to test positive, I, I guarantee it. Okay? Now, here's the second test that I, I brought this morning. And... Uh, uh, it is a little different. Now, if you're under the age of 50, you probably have no idea what this is, okay? Unless you've seen it on a TV commercial. But if you are over the age of 50, uh, you know exactly what I'm holding up, okay? So in the first service, we had, we had more people over the age of 50 than under the age of 50, and they laughed when, when, because they knew exactly what it, This is called, by the way, the nice name is this is called the FIT test. It stands for fecal immunochemical test, it's sent to 
every person in Saskatchewan between the ages of 50 to 74 every two years. Okay, this is my test, which I have not opened and probably won't. Okay. <laughs> now, the, the reason uh, governments send this is to detect early signs of colon or bowel cancer. And the reason governments send this out to people is because doctors have discovered that 90% of colon cancer cases can be prevented or successfully treated if caught early. However, if undetected, it is the second leading cause of cancer deaths in the province. You know, why am I telling you this information? Uh, in retrospect, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure exactly why I brought that test up on stage. Um, but no, that's not true, actually, there is a reason. It, it's, because, it's because we understand the importance of self-examinations and medical checkups. And we understand the importance of early detection that helps us detect things before they become a problem in our physical bodies. And these verses in 1 Corinthians remind us of the importance of a self-examination and spiritual checkups for our spiritual lives as well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask and answer, I think, three or four questions this morning. Uh, the first question is simply this. So what does it mean to examine or judge ourselves? Well, it, in simple terms, it means to perform a self-test on our heart and to ask ourselves some hard questions in life. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of those questions, but this is not exhaustive. It's things like, um, is my heart in the right place? Are there sins that I need to confess or deal with? Are there attitudes or actions in my life that I need to change? Are there differences with the people of God in my life or, or relationships that I need to resolve? Are there relationships that I need to mend? Now, however, uh, one of the, the challenges of self-examination is that we do not always know what's fully in our heart. Like the way that Jeremiah puts it is this way. He says, the heart is deceitful, and it's full above all things, and it says, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? So even when we're doing some self-examination, it's hard for us to truly know what's in our heart unless we ask for help which is why we ask the Holy Spirit to show us the reality of our hearts. Now, second question. How should we examine ourselves, and what are we actually looking for? Again, I, I want to give you a few things to just, to, just to get your thinking going here. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but it will guide you in some areas. So here's one of the things that, that we should uh, examine ourselves for. It says in the Bible that we should examine ourselves for the quality of our faith. Now, here's 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5. It says this, examine yourselves to see whether you're in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, as we come to the communion table, the first thing we need to examine is our faith. And the first question we need to ask is, are we in the faith? In other words, do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do we believe that he has accomplished what he, has, what he says he's accomplished on the cross? And have we received that free gift of salvation that he offers? And those prerequisites um, help us to experience the full meaning of life in Christ and the full joy of celebrating the communion supper together. But I want you to know that this verse refers to more 
than just whether or not you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's asking us a different question. It's saying, are you living in an active relationship with God, which is very different? The way he describes it is by having, putting our, our, ourselves, testing ourselves or, or failing the test. And that, that word, test yourself, is referring to, it's the same thing that, that a blacksmith would do with metal. You see, when a blacksmith wants to, 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 to learn about the metal that he wants, he tests it. Rather than sitting down and just looking at it and examining it, he puts it through an intense heat to reveal the truth about it and to discover if it's pure and how strong it is. And the same thing is true of us, that, that God will sometimes put our faith to the test to see what it's made of, how pure it is, how strong it is. So that's one thing that we need to do. The first thing is we need to examine the quality of our faith. Second thing we need to, to examine is, the, is our works. Galatians 6 says this, If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to, to someone else, for each should carry their own load. You see, God wants us to test our actions and see if they're in agreement or alignment with our faith. Are they consistent with, with God's Word? And let me give you some examples of this. You know, God's Word says, love, love your enemies. And in our actions, we know that we actually despise and hate our enemies. God's Word says that we're supposed to forgive those who wrong, have wronged us. But we know by our actions that instead we, we hold on to that hurt and resentment, and, and our lives are filled with, with anger and bitterness. God's Word says that you should have no gods before me or no idols. And yet our actions say that we constantly put other activities or other things in front of our God, and we worship them before we worship our holy God. Is our motivation pure? In other words, are we doing the right things for the, for the wrong reasons, which is possible? You know, sometimes we, we do things out of duty only because we, we feel like we have the obligation to do so, but our hearts aren't really in it. That's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we do things for self-glory. We, we want to do things so that we look good in front of other people and we gain their approval. That's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we are self-serving. We, we do things for other people with the hope of getting something in return. It, it's self-serving. It's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Now, here's the truth about our actions. Our actions are always a window into our soul. And our actions always reveal the truth about the condition of our heart. And so, God wants us to examine our works. Here's the third thing that God wants us to, to examine. He wants us to examine our love for God and others. Mark 12 says this. Uh, it says, um, Love the Lord your God, this is Jesus speaking, with, with all your heart and soul and mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. You see, God knows that, that, uh, that our love for him and our love for others is a mark of our heart. Later on in 1 John, he says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then just a few verses later, he says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love the brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so one of the tests of our heart is, is our love for God and our love for others. Here's a fourth test that we can examine ourselves with. Examine our obedience. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the only reliable way of measuring our love for God is whether we obey Him, whether we obey His Word, and whether, whether we obey His promptings in our life, because we can resist those things. Now, what we know is not the measurement, right? But that's how lots of us view our faith. It's how much we know about God and the Bible but that's not a measurement. What we say is not a measurement because our words are actually usually more um, powerful in, in a sense in terms of what we think we are than our actions. And not even the things that we do are, are an accurate assessment of who we are, an accurate measurement. The only thing that proves that we genuinely love God is our obedience. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. 1 John 2, 3-5, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So it's undeniable that the mark of a heart of a believer is our obedience to God, and God wants us to examine our hearts to see how obedient we are as we hear his word, as we respond to his word, and as we respond to his promptings. And a fifth thing I, I want to say is that we examine our heart with the help of God. You see, God wants us to examine ourselves. But he also knows that our eyes alone may not be enough. Now, just like we need a, a doctor or lab to look at the things we cannot see with our, our human eyes, we need the Holy Spirit to help us see the truth of our spiritual lives. We cannot properly examine ourselves without the help of God which is why we need to pray and why we need to ask God to show us the sins that, that we either are ignoring or blind to or unaware of. And one of the greatest prayers in the Bible that helps us with this is the prayer of David in Psalm 139, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, one more question, last question. What do we do with what we find? Okay, after we examine ourselves and God opens our eyes to some things in our life, what do we do with it? Well, first thing is we own it. We, we take ownership of the things that God reveals. And by the way, that's kind of opposite to the world. What does the world like to do? Deflect it. The reason I, I, I'm like this is because I had a bad father or a bad mother. I'm not saying that that doesn't influence us, right? It's always someone else's fault. 
But when we're people of God and God reveals something to us, we actually own it. And then second, we deal with it. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate this morning is a gift to believers. We, we come to this table with hope and with expectation that the God who loves us so much that He sent His Son to redeem us and rescue us from our sin is going to continue to show His love by pointing out the things that He needs to change in our lives. And by the way, God's conviction is an act of love because God disciplines those He loves. And, and if no one in your life is ever speaking the truth into your life, that's, that's a lack of love for you. And God loves us. We come to this table in full view of the great sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, confident that His body and blood have fully covered and fully paid for our sins, which means that we can come this morning, no matter who you are or what you've done or how much is in your life, without fear, because you are confident that Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross has come to forgive you because this is a table where we find mercy, not just judgment. When we come to the table, we, we realize or we know that, that ultimately it's a call for us to confess and to repent and to forgive and to be reconciled to God and others so that our hearts will honor the Lord. When we come to the table, uh, we, we know it's a time for us to get real with God and to be brutally honest with ourselves about the ugly reality of sinful, broken, messy lives that we all have. When we come to the table, we, we know that God's conviction will come, at least it should, and that that conviction is a gift that the Bible says leads us to repentance and restores our relationship with God and with others, which is a beautiful thing. And when we come to the table, we, we come to practice repentance. The problem is, is that for, for many of us, repentance is a really, and confession is a really negative thing. You know, the world wants to convince us that, that sin is positive and, and confession is negative, that we, we hide our sins. But that's not what, what, what God says. And we don't just come with, with a sorrowful, you know, fearful repentance. We come with a, with a joyful repentance. At staff meeting, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, we were, we were chatting about this, and, and one of the, the staff members uh, talked about uh, something, a phrase they used at a YWAM base, and they called it joyful repentance. I hadn't really actually thought about or heard that phrase before. But here's what I, here's what I mean by joyful repentance. It's, it's, it's joyful because when we confess and repent, God... God removes our shame. God re removes and deals with the pain of our sinful ways. God restores relationship with Him and hopefully with, with others in this world. When we confess our sin and repent of our action, God gives us uh, this new freedom because the burden of that sin that we've been carrying is gone. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you You've confessed something to someone. You got it off your chest and your back, and it just felt like you were just, you were free. Because sin has a way to, of 
holding us down in a, in a very burdensome way. When we confess our sin and repent of our action, uh, he gives us more access to himself as we walk and live in purity with him. He gives us this new and greater revelation of who he is. He refreshes our soul. When we confess our sins and repent of our actions, he replaces our guilt with, with wholeness. He replaces our anxiety and fear with, with peace. He replaces our brokenness with, with new passion of life and living for him. He makes our hearts new again. He, he takes these, these hearts of stone and he puts them into, brings them into hearts of flesh. He brings times of refreshing in our lives. He, he restores the joy of our salvation. He fills us with hope. When we confess our sins and repent of our actions, more of his life flows through us. And more of his authority is given to us. So that's why I say joyful repentance, because of all that accomplishes it. And, and as I read that list, like I'm thinking to myself, who wouldn't want this? Like who wouldn't want to be set free and, ha and have all that God wants to offer? So, we're going to close the service today by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. But before we do that, I want to give you a chance to examine yourself and judge yourself this morning. And here's what we're going to do. I've asked our media team to play a song in the background. And then on the screen in front of you, I put a couple of prompts to help guide you through a time of self-reflection. And then uh, once that's done, we're going to come back together again, and we're, we're going to uh, partake in the elements together. So examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. And judge yourself this morning so that you will not be judged. And as God convicts you, may you experience joyful repentance in your life because of all that God has accomplished. So let's take a few minutes just to have some, do our own self-test of our heart with the Holy Spirit's help. That simple prayer of confession it is an ancient prayer that we see in the scriptures where the, the tax collector who knew exactly who he was um, was just honest with the Lord. And he said, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And that's one of the greatest prayers we can, we can pray in our lives, knowing that God hears us and answers us. Well, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And we're going to sing a song together. And as that song is being sung, I want you to come and to pick up your element here. It's just one cup with both elements in it. And then just go back to your seat. And we're going to wait. And we'll, we'll share these and take these together as a family. Okay, and so hopefully, even in the process of coming up, you're, you're coming to receive uh, all that this, this table has to offer. You're coming to remember. You're coming to 
being in fellowship with God and you're coming to receive and experience God's grace and mercy. I just wanted to remind you that there's really, um, there's, there's no uh, reason why we can't come and experience communion. If we don't know Jesus yet, we can, maybe this is a moment where we say, I want to put my faith in him. If we're holding on to things in our life, this is the moment where we release those things because the point of communion is that we would come back into fellowship with God, that we would experience his, his love and grace. And that's why I love this table. And that's why I think it's good for us to come at the beginning of the year to, to experience this and, and to be renewed inside personally because there's so many other forces outside that are, are distracting us. This is what David said in the scriptures after he committed a, a very significant sin. It says, uh, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, re, re, who record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your discipline was heavy upon me, and my strength was evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray while you are still, while there's still time, that ye may not be down, drowned in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place, and you protect me from my trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. While they were eating, uh, Jesus took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. So let's take off the top layer, and let's eat together. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant spilled for you. And I just want to pause there for a second, and I want to remind you of what the new covenant looked like. You see, in the old covenant, people could approach God only through priests and the sacrificial system. God would forgive people's sins if they would bring animals to the priests to sacrifice. But that animal blood did not remove the sin that they had. And those animals had to be, re sacrifices had to repeat, be repeated year after year after year. But in the new covenant, Jesus died in place of sinners. And unlike the blood of animals, Jesus' blood truly removes the sins of all those who put their faith in him. And the sacrifice of Jesus never has to be repeated because it's good for all eternity. And that's why he said, um, this is the blood of my new covenant spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together. Now to him was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and, and forevermore. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for being with us today. I hope that this started your new year off with a great, great bang. So thanks for being with us and uh, enjoy your rest of your weekend.
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.